0: every coach wants to coach. I never met a coach that didn't want to coach. Um, I met a few that didn't really want to teach and there's a really big difference. And so putting them in positions um, to have to teach. And that's a big part of being an effective coach is having the ability to teach. Obviously it's not just making the decisions. We're going to run this play. This is what we do when we're down to with, 28 seconds you know that's that's all fine and good um, and necessary but when you teach you really learn you really know and you have to have the ability to get what you know out of you and into the people you're responsible for teaching.
1: Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to share part two of my conversation with Coach Sherry Cole. Coach Cole is the former head women's basketball coach at Oklahoma University. She served as the head coach at OU for 25 years, leading the program to 19 consecutive tournament appearances and three Final Four appearances. She was the Big 12 coach of the year four times and is a member of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame and the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. She also served as an assistant coach in 2001 and a head coach for USA Basketball in 2013 at the World University Games, where she led Team USA to a gold medal. In our conversation today, we talk about leading your coaching staff, teaching pain points for coaches, using a games-based approach, helping athletes embrace mistakes, and more. If you enjoyed the episode and want to get a copy of the podcast notes, go to coachesclubpod.com, drop your email in the form, and get the notes from this episode or any episode. I'm about to run another cohort for coaches beginning November 3rd. Too many coaches are isolated and don't have the opportunity to learn with and from like-minded coaches. The cohort is six weeks long and includes weekly meetings covering different coaching topics, access to the replays and resources, a private cohort group me, one 60-minute one-on-one call slash film review session with me, and more. The next cohort begins Wednesday, November 3rd, and will run for six straight Wednesdays and meets at 7.30 p.m. Central Time each week. The topics we cover include establishing purpose and creating culture, feedback fundamentals, practice design daring leadership, and more. Last week I got an email from Sarah, one of the coaches in the first cohort I ran, and she said this, I just wanted to take a second to thank you for the Sunday cohorts. It's been a delight even after a long stressful week. I really appreciate the work you do. I think more coaches need to dial into the human side of things. There's only 12 spots available for the next cohort, so grab yours before they fill up. If you're interested in learning more about the cohort or signing up, Go to transformsport.org slash cohorts, or just click the link in the show details. Now to the second part of my conversation with coach Sherry Cole. Enjoy the episode. I'd love for you to talk about leading a coaching staff. What, What did you find throughout the course of your career were some best practices when it came to leading a coaching staff?
0: You know, um, where we could talk about this for a really long time, I'll try to be as concise as I can. Uh, one of the things that I did that I would do again in a heartbeat uh, because I think it was valuable uh, in a 360 kind of way, is that I continually rotated job descriptions. So um, I wanted I wanted all of my staff to have a taste and a feel and some experience with, All the different facets of our program and so easy to get somebody who's a superstar at something. Let's say you've got a coach on your staff who was a great post player themselves. And so you want them to coach your posts. And um, they're not really great with organizational things. So you, you keep the, the, the team calendar in somebody else's hands. And and so you, you put them in this lane where you know their strengths are and where you know they can be really successful. And if you're not careful, you can leave them there and they become very one-dimensional. Does it serve you perhaps? Uh, is it easier for you to let the the staff member who's really good at organizing take all the the messy chaotic schedules and put it all together yeah is it harder for you to give it to that coach that's maybe not their expertise yeah it is but that's how that coach grows and I think the um maybe illuminating factor of that for me was that you as people learned new skill sets as they they developed whether it be on the court teaching prowess or um, abilities in the office from a business side, as they learned, you got new information. I got new information through that process that maybe if, if the person who, who that's in their, their strength and living in their lane, if they do it all the time, you don't really learn where the glitches might be. And there's, there's some, uh, there's some nuggets in there that might not have ever popped out because this other person just did it so well. And there might be another way, a better way to do that. So um, revolving those job descriptions and and keeping that fresh, it it keeps staff members from getting stale. I think it it keeps head coaches from getting stale. And I think uh, everybody is the big winner at the end because so much information is gleaned when you do that. I also felt like it was a really uh, big part of my responsibility to develop my staff and my coaches uh, as as professionals and as people. So personal growth was a big part of what we did, whether it be um, going through a book together and having weekly um, um, conversations about a particular chapter or a particular concept, or uh, each staff member reading their own book and their own area of interested in growth um, and then me going through that with them and our, our weekly or biweekly meetings, um, lots of things like that that have to do with areas that people that you are responsible for uh, voice, a desire to improve in. And uh, that ownership piece of that is very, very important as well. So I think it's, um, <clears throat> it's a lot of things. One thing I want to add in there is I also think it's important to make your coaches teach. And um, every coach wants to coach. I never met a coach that didn't want to coach. Um, I met a few that didn't really want to teach. And there's a really big difference. And so putting them in positions um, to have to teach. And that's a big part of being an effective coach is having the ability to teach. Obviously, it's not just making the decisions. We're going to run this play. This is what we do when we're down two with... 28 seconds, you know, that's, that's all fine and good, um, and necessary. But when you teach, you really learn, you really know, and you have to have the ability to get what you know out of you and into the people you're responsible for teaching. And uh, a lot of young coaches are either nervous about that or, um, feel unsure, uh, about, You know, and and why wouldn't they? The first time you taught in your classroom, you probably walked in and thought, I don't even know if I know enough to teach these kids what they need to know. (laughs) I was an English teacher. I remember thinking, there are so many books I haven't read. And there was my my mentor when I was doing my student teaching. She said, "Well, duh, do you think any of us have read every book that there is?" And it was just the you know the idiotic piece of that kind of sat on my head and like, yeah, you'll never know enough. Is is the is the lesson there? You'll never know all that you think you should know, and so part of the magic of being able to teach is not knowing and admitting that to your students, and the two of you figuring it out together. That's part of the magic. And so, young coaches sometimes that's uncomfortable, and they don't want to be in that situation, or they want to just do what they've seen and not not necessarily dig in and look for the best ways uh, and maybe some different ways to do that. So, putting coaches in positions where they have to think on their feet, uh, where they have to teach, where they have to prepare, how they're going to put this specific tactic in. Um, Those things are, those are important. And uh, they sort of, not only obviously they help the, the individual grow, but they also embed trust and respect with the players when you can put your staff members and your, your assistant coaches in those positions so that the players can see them as teachers, as people who have responsibility. Um, That's a big part of it too. So I'm not a big meeting person. I I wasn't a big, you know, Monday morning we're going to have a two hour meeting and then we're going to all get together and we're going to watch four hours of film. And um, that was not really my, my leadership style uh, we did have monthly staff meetings and um, took care of all the things that we couldn't take care of via email or um, some sort of uh, non-intrusive conversation. But but uh, I think that's a big part of it, too, is making sure that if you're going to take everybody's time and put them in a room and have them meet, that it serves a purpose that couldn't be served otherwise. And there's a respect that emanates from that. So uh, lots of pieces. And I feel like I rambled and went around in a great big circle there. Uh, But I think there are lots of uh, important things that that leaders can do uh, to keep their staffs healthy and thriving and growing and to maintain consistency there. And that's one of the things that we were able to do for a long, long time.
1: No, that's really good. There were some golden nuggets in there. Some really, really good stuff for coaches. I want to talk more about teaching. And you mentioned just how important it was for you to put your assistants in positions where they had to teach where where did you see where were the usual pain points for coaches when it comes to teaching what did they usually struggle with and then how did you help them address it
0: um well now you're really talking about what i love to talk about uh, i love to talk about teaching it's my it's my passion um i think the greatest pain point uh comes as we realize that what most coaches are best at, maybe what we are best at as humans, if you want to extrapolate that even wider, is telling. I'm telling you right now, coaches are amazing tellers. And I could tell what the best of them. Put your left hand here, put your right foot there. Your left toe goes in the instep of your right. Tell, 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 tell. Do, do exactly what I say. Um, It's not the best way to teach. The best way to teach is to inquire and let players build those ruts in their mind, uh, the mile and sheath that gets them from where they are to where they want to be. They figure out when they are a, a willing partner in finding the solutions. Um, not only do they not forget them, but they also learn on another level. And so uh, teaching coaches how to uh, not tell um, but how to ask and get the answers and get the knowledge and get the learning that they want from their players. Uh, that's one for sure. Um, <clears throat> another pain point I think is um, the element of context. And I could talk about this for our entire hour, um, but I think that's one of the things that's missing often is um, I know as, as a player, I, I grew up um, running lots of drills and early in my career uh, my teams ran a lot of drills and there's nothing wrong with drills. I'm not saying that at all. There are so many good things that come from drills. You you learn how to compete. You have uh, uh, rungs of the ladder that you're reaching for. Can we get this many in this amount of time? And how do we win this little game? And there are microcosms of competition that teach you all the important things about teamwork and how to win together and blah, blah. I could go on forever about that. But so often what... Is being taught beyond the quote-unquote soft skills of all that is is a loss in transfer. There, there's a there's a non-transferability sometimes, if I can make that word up, um, from what you do in a drill to actually what happens in a game. You know, people say, "Why don't you guys practice your layups?" Well, you can practice layups yourself all day long if you want. And sometimes you're going this speed and sometimes you're going that speed. And sometimes a guy's coming from your left and sometimes he's coming from behind you. And sometimes there's somebody else cutting when that happens. And there are 6 million different things that play a role in whether or not you finish that little, what looks like a simple shot around the rim. So the more you can build context for your players to actually get reps in game-like environments and game-like situations where nothing is ever exactly the same from one rep to the next. That's where the real skill is built. It, it's the, the usability of that muscle. And it might be passing. It might be shooting. It might be cutting. It might be screening. It might be defending. You can figure it out for whatever phase of the game you want to teach, put that thing in context so that there is transferability. The other piece of that is figuring out how to be the anti little league coach. but if you ever went to a little league baseball practice, I played softball growing up and literally wanted to poke my eyeballs out waiting for it to be my turn. You know, you're just on the side, like, seriously, it's 105 in Southern Oklahoma and I get to bat in eight more people. Okay. Wow. This is fun. Softball practice lasted three hours. Woo! <laughs> How to do the opposite of that. Like, like in other words, if you're, if you're wanting, um, uh, to work on screen and you play five on five. Uh, one player might get to use one screen in eight minutes just because of how the game moves and where the ball is and where they end up and who's on their squad and how they're being defended and there are all these things. If you want to work on screening, cut the floor in half, play on one end, cut the floor in half, play three on three and tell them they have to set three before they shoot it. You'll get better at screening in four minutes because there will be so many opportunities to set and use them. So you're controlling the environments, you're controlling um, the opportunities. You can build that any way you wish to create that context so that players get massive reps of transferable skill. And that's where, that's where coaches sometimes struggle. When you talk. I love the phrase you use, the pain point. I love that because if, if we weren't taught that way, And we'd never been in a situation like that. And as a head coach, you ask them to do that. uh, Wow, way outside their comfort zone and um, very difficult, especially for a a much-ballyhooed player or coach who's never done it in that particular manner. That can be very painful. So, um, but I do think it's, they learn quickly that it's a very effective uh, way to convey information. Boy, that took forever. I'm sorry I went on so long about that.
1: No, that was great. Oh yeah. That was so, so many of the things in there were so good that you said, I, I interviewed Chris Oliver. Uh, He's the basketball immersion guy. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but we were talking about these similar ideas. And he said this phrase that was really profound in reference to what you said there at the end for coaches to adopt this style of coaching that haven't seen it done before. He said that The hardest part for coaches is to give up a known good for an unknown better. And so, like you said, there's some good and some value in some drills or things that coaches have done before or the way that they were coached. It's not that all those things are bad, but I think there's a better way, but that can be really uncomfortable for coaches just because it's new. It's learning. It's just like when we ask our athletes to do new things that are uncomfortable, they have to get reps at it. And so as coaches, we have to get reps at it too. I'd love to talk a little bit more about as far as putting things in context, making sure that what we're doing in practice is as game-like as possible. They're getting reps, reading the same visual cues, that they're actually going to see in the game, right? So if they're working on finishing, there's actually a defender there to finish against. How, how, does, how, does, ooh, how do coaches have to shift their coaching in that style of coaching? I don't, I don't know if that question is clear or not. Essentially what I'm trying to say is when you adapt your practices to a more games-based approach, you're doing things with offense versus defense. It's more game-like. How does your, how does your coaching and teaching shift within that?
0: Um, great question. I think I know where you're getting on that, uh, where you're trying to go to there. Um, the first thing that has to happen is you have to take your big old ego and put it in a drawer in the office before you walk down to the gym because a really good practice is not – pretty. They're just not pretty because learning is not pretty. It, it, I'm, think to your middle middle school experience when you're learning. Who was cute in middle school? Nobody, nobody, because growing up is hard and there's an ugly phase in there and you trip a lot and you um, can't get the rats out of your hair and it's just ugly. There's just that that piece of growth that's, that's not uh, going to look great if somebody walks in your gym. I always felt like um, I would like for people to walk in my gym and make a decision about the effectiveness of our practice based on their ears, not their eyes. So, kind of like the voice that's on TV right now, the show where the singers, you know, sing and the, the people that pick them can't see them at the outset. Because I think a healthy gym, a learning gym, is a noisy one. I think it's chaotic. And I think you can hear energy. I think you can hear growth. I think you can even hear struggle and imperfection. And those are the things that make it actually a productive practice. It's not that it looks great and nobody's ever throwing a ball against a wall and all your lines are sharp and everybody knows exactly where to go. That's fine and good if you're, if you're doing a performance, if you're, if you're a a drill team and you're marching at halftime, that's great. But if you're really trying to learn, you're going to screw up. We had a kid on our team, um, Maddie Williams. She'll she'll be a senior at Oklahoma next year, and uh, really talented athlete, um, good player. Uh, not a great player when she came in. She was a high school All-American, but um, skill, um, some skill gaps. And she had you know a couple of amazing performances last year, offensive performances, scoring forty plus, broke a school record got in that zone and everything looked easy and so forth. And I had so many people talk about what a natural scorer she was. And what I wanted to tell everyone and did tell some people is you never got to see the struggle. You, you don't know how many times she came down dribbling the ball, doing a hezzo at the top of the key and dribbled it off her foot and had to go run down the corridor to get it and come back and do it again it happened over and over and over. And that's the part that people don't see, but that's where the skill is born and that's where it's set. And so um, practices should not necessarily be pretty. And in order to uh, be okay with that, you got to put your ego in the door.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said there is so profound about you know coaches we got to put our ego aside and be okay with messy and realize that that's how learning happens my follow up question to that would be and like you just mentioned with that athlete that experienced so much success but people didn't see the struggle and i think that's hard for our athletes a lot of the times to embrace messy learning that's full of mistakes especially in a sports context where they're judged on their performance and their outcome so often and so my question is how how did you help athletes adopt a mindset, a growth mindset really, that saw mistakes as learning opportunities and really good things?
0: Well, first of all, they have to learn to respect failure. It has to be something that um, they value and are proud of because it shows that they've stretched beyond their comfort zone. You can do that in a lot of soft ways. We had a a large mural outside of our office area that uh, had a quote about um, failing giving you an opportunity to succeed even further. Uh, we had things in the locker room, so there was always failure was not a bad word. It wasn't a thing that you know you were embarrassed about or you had to to whisper or hang your head about. It was something to actually be proud of because it showed that you were stretching yourself. And I think there are all kinds of little tricks for that. Um, we tried to make it uh, something that was uh, that there's some levity to, uh, because it can feel so heavy and, and, and so magnanimous. Like uh, I, if if a player was having trouble jumping to the ball defensively, which is a thing many kids struggle with, you know, you want to just be attached to your guy. It doesn't matter what level you play at fifth graders, uh, college players, nobody really naturally likes to, or wants to, uh, jump to the ball religiously. If you've got a kid that's really struggling with that and you see it happen, maybe you're doing a little uh, half court work and you see her really jump to the ball and cut off the path of the cutter. We might just stop it, blow the whistle, stop it, grab some tape, put it on the floor, mark a big X. This is the spot where Susie learned to jump to the ball and then everybody runs around the gym and high fives. And there's that moment of practice, get a water break and everybody goes, whatever. And then you go right back to your practice plan. So it's, it's making sure that they know that, that, it's okay to struggle with something and that there's a process to getting good at anything. And it's all right to watch for them to see you struggle too. As coaches, we think we have to be so perfect and we have to have all the answers all the time. And um, my thing was if, sometimes if I was teaching a, um, a, a particular point and I couldn't get the words out of my mouth, right. Or let's say I just told them the wrong way uh, to score it or a better example, because I did this a lot is we might be playing three on three, half the floor, and uh we might be scoring for a particular thing like um, uh, a, a screen successfully used and i would forget to to yell over to the score table that that was one because ball didn't go in the basket that's part of it and if i recognize that i did that or somebody pointed it out to me or just stop the drill immediately just fall down and do five push-ups and say come on coach and then jump back up and just showing that it's that i do it too it's not just players that mess up. Coaches do that too. And then you model the way to re- respond to it. Like, okay, next. And it's not going to hang around. It's not going to be a backpack I carry. We're moving right on to the next thing. And trust me, as coaches, uh, we make all kinds of decisions or all kinds of uh, mistakes in the middle of practice and in the middle of games. And, and uh, just owning those, I think, is, is really, really important. And it shows players Uh, how to, how to own their own mistakes and move on, move to the next best thing.
1: Yeah, that's really good. I love the example of an athlete. Got it. You stopped the whole practice. Marked you the next. This is where the athlete learned to do this thing. The powerful thing about that is that you noticed progress. I think that as coaches, that might be one of the most powerful things that we can do is just notice progress. Hey, you just did something that you struggled to do before or you couldn't do before and to make it a big deal because you know, that athlete that you mentioned, like she'll probably never forget that moment because you made it such a big deal when she made progress. And, and then for everyone else to see too, Oh, like we grow here and we get celebrated when we grow here. I just think that that is such a, a powerful thing for coaches to do that really doesn't take a ton of effort and time. It just takes a little bit of intentionality to recognize that progress and bring attention to it. So I just love that you shared that example.
0: It's one of those things, Luke, that, um, that is really easy to do when you're thinking about it, when you're starting out. Uh, when you go to practice the day after you hear a podcast, it's one of those things that's really tough to do when the pressure is on and you got to win that game tomorrow and you've had three bad practices. And that's where I think coaches have to uh, regroup and um, put whatever little systematic things in place that they need to make sure that they do that thing that they know is so valuable. Because how many times, uh, who, who started the part of the process? Was that Saban? Was he the first, or was that Pete Carroll? I don't know where it all began, but part of the process became a really big deal, right? Everybody's gonna be a part of the process. We're about the process, we're about the process. We're not about the outcome, we're about the process. Well, if you're about the process and you get your tail kicked and you bring your team back in and you run sprints the entire next practice, you're not really about the process. Now, some coaches will say, yes, we are, because the process is, our fund- we have to be fundamentally sound, and we weren't fundamentally sound, and that's why we lost the game. Well, that's a pretty slippery slope to live on. And so I think what you're really modeling, if you get your tail kicked, and one of the best, and I'm just going to give this shout out to uh, Lon Kruger, who worked across the hall for me at the University of Oklahoma uh, for the last 10 years of my career. He's the best I've ever seen at um, modeling what to do next. It, it, they they could they could have an unbelievable an unbelievable performance come in and practice a certain way play terrible get their tails kicked they come in and practice the same way they didn't get days off when they played great they didn't have horrific conditioning practices when they played poorly they just worked every day it was really about the process and he was tremendous at that uh, I think that's important for players because that's how they understand. If you say you're about the process and, and lose your mind every time you lose a game, um, then you're not really about what you say you're about. And, and I'll tell you, the, this past year, we, we lost a game uh, by one. And we go in the locker room and afterward, everybody's crying. And I walked in and I said, I want you guys to just act like the last thing didn't happen that last play where we didn't get that shot that we wanted stop the movie right there. How would you feel? Oh, well, we won for 39 minutes. Exactly. And you, and that what happened in that one minute is going to make you feel, Holy cow, we got to get this thing uh, back steadied a little bit. And that's super hard to do. Super easy to talk about incredibly difficult to do especially for young people in in the world that we live in currently and the size of the platform that they have and it I'm not just talking about if you're a division one athlete playing on ESPN the size of the platform's pretty big if you're in Ringling Oklahoma and um, you're the star of the high school team in that little bitty community it's a pretty big platform. And so they feel that same kind of pressure and so I think it's it's uh, important whatever the level is to make sure that we keep the most important things being the most important things and to your point that's progress that's growth.
1: Yeah, that that was really good. Really really powerful stuff. Here is my last question and then we'll do a few rapid fire questions. If you could decide, coach Cole gets to choose. These are the three things that every coach of every sport, every level, they need to be educated on these things. What would they be?
0: That's a tough question. I'm going to say, first of all, and this is really broad, but mental health, um, just, a, a, just where you're the people you're responsible for are uh, mentally, are they healthy? Are they in a good spot? Um, are they in a spot where they can be pushed today or what do they need that just that overall um, knowledge and awareness of of their health, their internal health. Um, Second, we've already talked about a lot, but that would be um, employing context into whatever it is that you do Uh, a fifth grade um, basketball coach uh, needs to put context in their teaching as does uh, as do the best NBA coaches. If you go to NBA uh, practice, they do this stuff all the time. That's why they're professionals. (laughs) Um, And the third thing I think I'd have to say is self-awareness. Just as a coach, it's, they get who we are and where we are every day. And as fallible human beings, we are not going to be in the same spot every day, but having an awareness of that and trying to move ourselves into the best place possible before we interact with those kids that we're responsible for. That's huge. And again, doesn't matter the level.
1: Absolutely. I think we could talk about self-awareness for a long time. That's a, that's such an important one. That whole list. That's awesome. Here are my rapid fire questions for you. Here's the first one. Just want to know the first thing that comes to your mind. The most fun part of coaching was.
0: Oh, easy. The aha moments the moments when a player just understands and you know it, you can see it in their face. Um, It changes their countenance, the way they carry themselves. And it could be about the smallest thing or the biggest thing, Uh, but the aha moments are what I lived for.
1: I love it. Here's the next one. I wish I would have known blank before my first coaching experience. (laughs)
0: Um, I wish I would have known how, irrelevant, unnecessary, and potentially detrimental it can be to concern yourself with the officials. It's unbelievable. When when I think about you you have, and and you could talk about how some coaches, you know, play mind games or bully officials or whatever. Goodness gracious, if that's your mission, um, you got bigger problems than trying to win the game. But there's just so much energy that is wasted on Arguing a call. It's crazy. Not to mention the poor example that it is for your team and how distracting it is. So that's what, that's what I wish I'd been told and, and made to do.
1: (laughs) You're the first coach that said that in response to that question, but it's one of my favorite answers so far. That's fantastic. I totally agree with you. (laughs) Here's the last one. I know I'm successful as a coach when.
0: Oh, my players are growing when my players are growing as people or players. And, um, that was, that was the point of it all for us, um, to, to grow as people and players in pursuit of championships.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, coach Cole, this has been fantastic. I know coaches are going to find it really valuable, but before we hop off, why don't you just take a minute, share with people where they can connect with you or learn more about you and the work you're doing now?
0: Well, um, in retirement, which I am absolutely loving, um, I'm spending a lot of time with my brand new grandbaby, which is just fabulous beyond explanation. Um, I am writing and speaking and doing some consulting. You can go to sherrycole.com.
1: Coaches, thanks for listening to the podcast. And thanks again to Coach Cole for coming onto the show. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and you want the podcast notes, go to coachesclubpod.com. I was really challenged by Coach Cole's thoughts on teaching. It's really easy to become a teller and neglect to facilitate learning and athletes discovering solutions. And here are two really actionable takeaways for you from this conversation on teaching. First, make sure you're including context in your practices. That means offense and defense, the way our sports are played. Second, as Coach Cole said, be the anti-Little League coach. Too many practices have copious amounts of wasted time. If your athletes are standing in long lines, you need to change how you're running your practices. They're just not getting better standing in those long lines. Your practice might look clean and organized with those lines, but that's not what practice is about. It's about players playing and getting better. They can't do that when they're standing in a line. Maximize the reps of every athlete in your practice. Play more small-sided games to get more athletes actively playing and making decisions. And lastly, I'll challenge you with this. Coach Cole talked about how struggle is essential to learning, and that's true for our athletes and us as coaches. We talk about a lot of things on this podcast, and I hope you're attempting to apply some of these ideas in your coaching. And when you do, remember that it will be uncomfortable, and you're probably going to struggle. That's okay. That's how we learn as coaches. Embrace the struggle. You don't have to be perfect. Growth happens when we stretch ourselves. Like I mentioned in the intro, I'm running another cohort beginning November 3rd. The cohort is six weeks long and we'll meet Wednesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. There's only 12 spots available for this cohort, and I'd love to have you be a part of it. You can learn more or sign up at transformsport.org cohorts, or just click the link in the show details. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.